Well, thank you everyone for joining. Uh, we'll give it a few more minutes here to allow everyone else to, to log in. <clears throat> Hope everyone's doing well and having a, a great start to 2022. We're already a couple of weeks in, so hopefully everyone was rested and got some time to reset with the family and uh, enjoy the holidays. All right, Brett, well, let's kick it off. Well, thank you everyone for joining today. We'll be talking about the, the math, you know, how to master the art of cannabis public relations with Brett Puffenbarger today. Uh, my name is Guillermo Bravo. I'm the chief evangelist here at MediaGel. Uh, if you didn't know, MediaGel is focused on connecting cannabis, uh, CBD, and alcohol businesses to compliant consumer audiences. And this is done across mobile devices, uh, through streaming TV, through, through listening to your favorite podcast at every stage of the customer buying journey. And I'd like to introduce Brett, Puff, uh, Brett Puffenbarger, who is the managing partner at Good Ideas. Welcome to the show, Brett. Thanks for having me. This is kind of exciting. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, let's kick it off. Maybe just give me a little uh, background into, into your, uh, you know, your experience joining the uh, cannabis industry. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I guess I came to cannabis first and foremost as a patient or a consumer, right? I'm a, I'm a veteran. I, I openly admit to having post-traumatic stress disorder and I'll never forget the day I got into an argument with an ex-girlfriend and she said something kind of mean, like you should smoke a joint. I hear veterans do great smoking weed. And I said, all right, let me try. And uh, didn't know where to buy it. Didn't know anything about it. And it changed my life for the better. Um, I made my jump into cannabis, I guess, going on seven years ago now. Um, started in the cannabis retail space, have worked all over, uh, director of public relations for a veterans charity. I've done director of comms, director of uh, marketing and sales, VP of corporate initiatives, and then it kind of eventually culminated in launching Good Ideas. Um, we're a media marketing public relations company focused primarily on cannabis. I got a master's degree in public relations and a bachelor's in media communications. So when it comes to talking about weed stuff, I, I think I have a pretty decent handle on it. And I'll be frank with you. I, I think we have some pretty big holes in the PR game in cannabis. And I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah, well, excited to have you on and, you know, share your insights with our audience. And, you know, let's kick it off with the pillars of PR. Like, what are the five pillars of PR? So I think the most obvious one that everybody knows is publicity, right? Or you could also call that media relations. It's getting quotes in publications. It's getting feature articles. It's getting on podcast or on the news. That's kind of the baseline. That's what everybody thinks about. And let's call it like it is. We have a lot of that in cannabis. We have our own intrinsic cannabis media, and we have a lot of companies that do that. I think the other pieces of the PR equation are where we start getting a little less obvious and a little more in the ether, right? So you've got 
crisis communication, which is responding to a crisis. A lot of people don't like to think about that, you know, but we always hear it in any kind of business plan. You, you plan for the best or you plan for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah. That's where that comes in. It is inevitable that your company at some point is going to get themselves into some kind of crisis. It might be a little crisis. It might be a big crisis. It could be something in the middle. So that's a major pillar that we're missing is, is the ability to pivot messaging, the ability to react to a negative situation or a potentially damaging situation. The other one's going to be reputation management. That's where we're talking about kind of this equation uh, that we use in the PR world that is image plus identity equals reputation. Image being what other people say about you, right? Your reviews, the message board content, people re reacting on social media. Identity being what you say about you. It's your press releases, your web copy, all of the things that we would traditionally put in the marketing world. Uh, and then the goal is to have those match. So that's kind of reputation management. How do we build an identity? How do we maintain that identity? How do we make sure that what we say we are and what we actually are match up? And how do we adjust things if they don't? So those are kind of the first two big ones. Uh, kind of past that are two that there's some debate around. So one of them being social media management. I think a lot of people inaccurately, in my view, put that into the marketing realm. And I don't think it solely belongs to them. It belongs to both because let's look at the term public relations. It is relationships with the public. What is the most direct access your company has to the public? Well, social media, you can literally get live in color right now feedback from your target audience or from your consumer base right now. So that's going to be the other one is that. And then last but not least is one that I think we don't talk about at all. And it, I don't think we talk about it even outside of cannabis, but that's dark PR. That's a combination of dark websites, opposition research, all of the things that you normally associate with politics apply to the corporate world too. And these can kind of go one of two ways. It's either research on the opposition, digging into what they're doing, understanding how they're working, you know, secret shopping them, things like that. But it's also a, a sub pillar in a way of crisis communication. And an example I use for this pretty often is airlines. So every major airline in the world has a website that's ready-made and built, sitting in the dark that nobody sees for if a tragedy, God forbid, does happen. So they don't want frequent flyer miles on the website or travel with us today if a plane goes down. So what they do is they take the time ahead of time to build out a website that all they have to do is within a couple of minutes have this website up and running that's a memorial website or a sad website or a link to the news articles on it or an update there. And that's where dark PR really starts to play a role. Is that as necessary for something like cannabis? No. Uh, is it still an important thing that should be considered? Absolutely. So those kind of make up the five major pillars of PR with the first one, publicity, being the one we all know, and the rest kind of being the thing we talk about, but we don't break down as often. Yeah. And where do you see the cannabis industry often dropping the ball in regards to, to PR? We have atrocious reputation management and crisis yeah. communication in cannabis. And I won't name names. I've done it before. I've made LinkedIn pontifications about it. But yeah. my favorite example of this is take any major cannabis company, any MSO you want, yeah. and Google them 
and look at their stuff. Look at what they say their website is. Look at what they say they are in their press releases and then Google their name with stuff like scandal, lawsuit, things like that. And you start to see this very, uh, forgive the French, but damning picture of that equation that we talked about a minute ago. Their, their identity and their image don't match. And this is a big reason I say we don't have a lot of true PR because most of those companies use a single set of PR companies that are only focused on one thing. Let me get you publicity. And they yeah. don't know how to, or they don't offer a service that allows them to pivot. And we've seen this happen in mainstream industries all the time. And in my mind, it, it really hurts my brain to think about because we're a nascent industry. We're coming out mm -hmm. of post-prohibition. We're already fighting stigmas. If I'm looking at it that way, every single company in the cannabis space is a representation of the entire industry. And I'll use an example for this one. Uh, in the military, they used to tell us, don't do anything dumb on the weekend because it's not going to be your name in the headline. It's going to say United States Marine did XYZ dumb thing. We don't get headlines in the mainstream news when a cannabis company does something silly or bad or illegal or questionable. We get cannabis company or pot shop or something that reflects on us. So to me, it's a combination of cannabis companies aren't being proactive with those things for their own good, but they're also letting their peers down because whether we want to admit it or not, we're in a boat together. Even yeah. your most ardent competitor and you are sharing an industry that we all need to be fighting for. So that's a big one. I think we're dropping the ball on. We're not dealing with crisis communication and reputation management in an efficacious or proactive way. Yeah, and it's really up to us uh, as an industry as and individual companies and, uh, you know, just part of the community that we we listen to, to our customers, we listen to our audience, we respond, we, we try to, uh, you know, elevate the industry as much as possible. And, um, you know, it's, it takes an active effort from all parties. So it's just really being focused and, and listening to your customers because, uh, you know, your bud tenders are right there on the front lines. They're, they're educating your customers. They're the face of your company, right? So anything that- uh, They're also getting face-to-face -face yeah. feedback. They're exactly. the one getting yelled at when your company messes up. It's not the executives, <laughs> yeah. right? Like- Exactly. Exactly. And then uh, in regards to kind of what you said in, in the, in the dark PR of, I've seen this quite often where, you know, um, you know, the Instagram profiles being shut down, we kind of follow the best practices in all regards, but you know, the, the person that's going to report you to Instagram is going to be your competitor. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's just the, the nature of the industry. And I've seen that in many instances. So it's, you know, even protecting yourselves with a lot of that competitor research, ensuring that uh, you're within the compliance guidelines of these different platforms. Those in glass houses should not throw stones and you should know whether your house is glass or not. And you should know whether the guy throwing stones house is glass or not, plain and simple. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, speaking of, you know, outside the industry, what lessons can we learn from, from other industries and how can we apply that to cannabis? I think we could learn a ton. I, I don't know how many of them are, are specifically PR, but yeah. we're not the only vice industry out there. Whether you want to say we are or not, we are. We're in that box. 
we're not the only medical industry in the world. We're not the only industry that's come out of post-prohibition. We're not the only industry that faces, albeit different, but similar challenges to the ones we have. Mm -hmm. And I think we can learn a lot, maybe not from the actions of tobacco, alcohol, pharmaceuticals, but maybe from their failures, right? Like uh, we see all kinds of instances, or at least I do, in the cannabis industry where cannabis companies are opening themselves up for product liability lawsuits. They're opening themselves up for false claims and things of that nature. And if we put on our marketing hat, which is, you know, part of the PR world to some degree, there is, um, how do I want to word this? There is a way for us to not do those things without losing the vigor that we want to approach the positives with, right? So I guess the lesson we can learn from them is they didn't plan for the worst. They just kept assuming that, you know, everything that's gold glitters is gold and will keep glowing. And we should be planning for the worst, right? There are plenty of people that want to stand against us as an industry from our success. And we have to be ready for and anticipate what they're going to do and have our public facing side ready to meet it. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, there is, you know, there's a big difference between PR and publicity and, uh, you know, you're deep in the weeds. Can you really differentiate the two for me? Publicity is part of PR, right? Like uh, publicity is one of those five pillars. Publicity is a, I guess you would say a proactive version of marketing, right? It's an extension of that marketing department. It's a subsector of it. The rest of PR touches on that, but it also touches on other pieces of the equation that are a little broader, right? When you really look at those five pillars we laid out at the beginning of this, public relations is not a sub-function of marketing, despite what most corporate structures put it as. Public relations is a, a, a symbiotic piece of the equation. You see this kind of argument a lot more between marketing and sales. Is marketing sales? Is sales marketing? Why do we have a CRO, not a CMO and a CSO or whatever? I think PR lands squarely in that equation. And it's kind of this lost piece, right? Like everybody acts like it's a two-way street. Well, it's a three-way street. And I, I think it gets muddied because we have this myopic view of PR being only publicity. And if it were only publicity, heck yeah, we're a marketing function, put us in the marketing department. Thanks, have a great day, I'll talk to you later. But we're not. And as soon as we start realizing that, the better we're gonna be as individual companies and as an industry. Exactly, I'm right there with you. And you know, speaking of, you know, companies and industry, are there any that you would like to point out that are doing an exceptional job with PR in cannabis? When you ask that, do you mean a company that has done well at managing their reputation? Or do you mean a competitor who's doing well? Because I'll give you both or either, whichever one you want. Uh, I'd say a company who's doing well in regards to reputation management. Hellman Valley Growers Association or company, uh, Brian Buckley's company. Um, And then, of course, they have the associated piece of the Battle Brothers Foundation. They have managed to craft a very, very powerful narrative and gain a huge amount of public and industry support 
by sticking to their core messaging, sticking to all pieces of it. And let's call it like it is. They don't have any crises that they need to respond to, but based on everything else they've done, I'm very convinced that Brian and the team have more than enough stuff on their plate to handle it if they should ever unfortunately fall in that. Uh, on the other side of that, as far as like the competitors thing, uh, Hellman Valley Growers, um, H HVGC, Hellman Valley Growers Company. There we go. Thank you, person in the <laughs> chat for helping me. Uh, as far as a competitor, I'm a really big fan of my competition often. <laughs> uh, so shout out to Grasslands, a journalism-minded agency. I think they do really well. Uh, granted, you know, they're again, a lot more heavily focused on publicity than the other pieces, but the way they approach the media relations publicity angle is something that I strive to do too, right? Like, uh, so if they're listening, Totally open to a collaboration with you guys. I love what you're doing, even if we're competitors. Uh, and that's what's great about the cannabis industry. Like it's, you know, it's friendly and, and competitive, right? We we act the same way with our competitors and we, we just want to improve the industry as a whole uh, and, you know, just continue to do so. Uh, and you, you talked a lot about balance and identity uh, you know, identity and image, you know, when creating a PR, uh, PR strategy, like how do you balance the identity and image when creating that strategy? I'm going to say it as simply as humanly possible, under promise and over deliver. As, as marketers, as PR people, it is our duty to present us in the best possible light. And I'll use a kind of silly example of you don't put all of your bad stuff on your Tinder profile or your dating profile when you're a person, right? Like we would never put that. I'm not, I'm not putting it all out there and we all have our problems and all companies have problems. So be honest and open about those things in the other sense too. So when we're PR and marketing people, we're always going to position things in the best possible light but there's a balance there. Don't overdo the promise, right? It's like, uh, I guess an example I could give for that is we all know that when they say nine out of 10 dentists recommend this toothpaste, they don't mean 90% of dentists recommend the toothpaste. They mean nine out of the 10 out of the 50 that we asked and cherry pick work, right? Yeah. But what I would never say is 90% of dentists recommend this, right? Those are very different statements. They sound the same on a surface level, but as long as we're being very clear with that, that's the goal, right? Be open and honest. And, and I think the thing that my, you know, my example a little bit ago kind of drives to is don't say one thing and do another. Say yeah. the thing and do the thing. And if you fail, take accountability offer a solution and keep it moving. That's such an important piece of crisis communication that a lot of people don't like. They, they want to deflect, they want to subvert, they want to change the message, they want to do this. And most of the time that doesn't land, right? If it doesn't work yeah. with your spouse at home, it's not gonna work with the general public. Why are you doing it? Exactly. Is there any books or, or resources that you can recommend in regards to crisis mm. management? Honestly, no. Uh, I don't think I've ever read a PR book outside of the textbooks from school. Okay. Um, truth be told, crisis communication is one of those very few things where could you get your own publicity? Heck yeah. Could you manage your reputation? Absolutely. 
100%. Should you be managing your own crisis communication? Probably not. Uh, and this is not a plug that you need me, but I would heavily recommend finding an expert to help with that who is focused solely on that. Because when you start, uh, when you start focusing on the crisis rather than continuing to run your company, you are going to set yourself up for failure. And the last thing you need to do in a crisis is let the other pieces of your business fall apart. Exactly. So, you know, lean on, lean on a, an agency like yours uh, for crisis management, you know, kind of put that, leave that to the experts and just continue to run your business. Uh, you know, in regards to publicity, we're always uh, kind of looking at the, at the home runs, right? We want some, they, your client wants the, a front page cover of Forbes or whatever it might be. Everyone wants to see that shiny object. Uh, but why, why is your PR company focused on uh, you know, the base hits instead of just the home runs? Because they win games. At the end of the day, yeah. the, the, the social proof that comes from a future feature article yeah. is great but it only has a certain amount of shelf life. It's only going to get pushed so much because when you, when you nail a major publication, it's uh it's kind of like a firework. It shoots off. It does you a big thing right now. And then what happens? Well, they have five more feature articles that are coming out tomorrow. They have 10 more feature articles coming out the next week with equally big, awesome, amazing companies that may or may not be competitors. Those are very short-term gains. And there's a reason for it, right? Like there's a reason to have those things. They're nice to have, but truth be told, the bigger one is constant reminders of putting your company in people's minds of, you know, like Brett PR help. Like that's all I want people to remember for myself. So the same thing, you know, like Yermo media help or however you want to put it, that's what you need to worry about. And at the end of the day, the big return that a lot of people are looking for in the subtle psychology of buying is as seen on. It doesn't matter if you were the feature article or you had the quote, you get to put as seen in Forbes. You get to put as seen in that, right? So the bigger piece is that jump, right? Like it's not necessarily the movement from article to website to buyer. It's putting you in the thing that when they do go into a search engine and search for your company, they get that subtle reminder. They see the as seen in that we call it social proof. You can call it all kinds of things, clout even. That is gained regardless. And truth be told, for a PR person in our world, it is so much easier for me to get three or four or five quotes in articles than it is for me to try to bat a thousand and knock it out of the park every time. And you as a company, whether it, it sounds counterintuitive or not, you're gonna gain more from five or six or seven small touch points than you are one big touch point. Yeah. And it's, you know, with those, with those wins that you're, you're making those, you know, those base hits, you, there's different ways that you can remind and showcase that content to your audience, right? So if, oh, 100%. if you did, if you, did um, you know, for instance, install a pixel on your website and you want to run a, a programmatic campaign, uh, you can boost that article. So it's a, uh, so it's a native content at the end of other publications. And that's just another way for you to, to get more eyeballs on that, leverage your social media audience, leverage your, your email and text message 
uh, list and you know remind people, right? It's the rule of seven. You, people need to see your your brand um, kind of in the wild seven times before they're really gonna make a decision and you know, hopefully uh, purchase from you. So you know leverage the different assets that you have to to continue to expand upon that. Um, you know, get that message out. And then another thing, and just thinking of an SEO and how to merge SEO with PR, um, you know, when you do uh, publish or, you know, get published in a marijuana business daily, and, uh, you know, there is a lot of authority associated with that domain name. If you, uh, as a company, continue to push that PR, uh, that specific article that mentions your name, that will show up in the search results right under your, you know, your name. So it's, uh, it's kind of like, uh, it's a, it's an alternative to reputation management. It's really boosting up the positive news and, you know, so that the, the, the negative news kind of gets pu pushed down. So that's just a, a tactic I know we've used in the past to, to really, um, position that, that positive news at the forefront because, you know, in SEO, people are not really going past the first page of Google anyways. So ensuring that that, that is all positive. Uh, and then, you know, in regards to reviews, you know, if you're a retailer, at least maintain a, a 4.7 or higher in your Google reviews, that's kind of a, a standard that we would recommend. For sure. Uh, and as far as managing your brand image, how do you, you know, as a, as a brand, how do you differ differentiate yourselves? So this is one that, that creeps up in my world a lot. And I, I don't know how to say it without being direct to people, but um, if you've seen somebody else talk about it, it's not a differentiator anymore. And in okay. cannabis, we see the same three to five differentiators all the time. I would say that something like 70 to 80% of, of potential clients or clients that are being onboarded have the same few talking points, right? Like, craft cultivation or craft quality support for veterans, minorities, prisoners, uh, you know, legalizing home grow. I want to be part of the community, not the corporate. Those aren't differentiators. Those are the bare minimum, right? That's what everybody's talking about. When you're talking about building an image to differentiate, it's your story. Why do I give a crap that you want to support veterans? Why do you care about quality? What is your connection to the reason? And, and I guess that's the point I'm trying to get at here is, is that those lists are fine. It's just, you have to back that list up a little more because everybody has the list, right? Yeah. Like everybody's got their list of things that they want people to know. But if everybody that said that list got media coverage, it would be nothing but feature articles talking about the same five to seven talking points. The differentiators are the approach, the route that you got that to that point, the, the little differentiation piece in your personal story. And I'll, I'll use a really great example of this one. Uh, my friend Davina from Element Apothic has a real connection and a family story about her, her uncle and her dad and discovering cannabis post-Vietnam and living through the stigma and, and how they built homemade um, homemade formulations for them. And now her company is putting out those formulations aimed at other veterans. That's very, very different, right? That's a powerful story. So I guess what I'm saying is 
the differentiator is the story that gets you to the answer that everybody else is given. Because we're going to keep coming up with the same answers, right? There's a, a huge chunk of, of answers that go there. But it's all about how do I get to that answer, right? There's a, there's a, there is four or five of you, whatever you are, whatever your company is, no offense to everybody, but you're not that unique at the end of the day. You're just another consumer packaged good cannabis product. You're just another this or that. It's the pieces that aren't the same that matter. It's the story that you tell that got to those pieces that matter. Agreed. Agreed. And who do you, um, the authenticity is, is major in our industry, right? It's, uh, you know, telling that story and being honest with, um, you know, your beginnings and, and kind of where you've progressed over time. Like, how do you, how do you, uh, identify who's, you know, just full of it? (laughs) (laughs) I think it goes right back to the question we asked earlier. Does their identity and their image match? Are they saying what they're, are they doing what they say they're doing? Are they actually delivering on the promises they're making? Uh, and at the end of the day, we're all, authentic to ourself it's digging into finding the person behind the mask behind the persona behind the thing and honestly that's an intuitive thing too right like we all have gut feelings yeah exactly exactly um you know how do you balance the relationship between pr and journalism i know that's a that's a tough one too That's one of my favorite things because I I think a lot of people have this idea that PR and journalism are adversarial or playing favorites or something of that nature. And we're not, Uh, we're symbiotic. Uh, Journalists need sources. They need people to fill their stuff. Otherwise it's just a glorified blog, right? Like they have to have something to talk about. And I'll be honest with you, some of my best friends are editors, reporters, journalists, they're on the other side of this equation. So I know how much it sucks to be in their their shoes, right? I know how hard it is to find the qualified guy to give a, an, you know, a quote on, to find the qualified woman to provide a picture, to provide this data. And that's a huge part of what we do, right? It's, it's helping them solve a problem they have. I think what, where a lot of things go wrong is that as PR people, we kind of become like the pestering sales guy, like where we're like, Hey, I got a client. Hey, I got a client. Hey, I got a client for this. Hey, push this. And there's a balance there where you got to think they're getting hit with five or six or eight of your peers. There's more than one company seeking publicity. So it's, It's all about striking up those personal relationships. And I think for a long time, PR was the spray and pray world. Press release, press release, press release. Hope they pick it up, bug the crap out of them, knock down their door till they cover your client. It's 2022, man. It's a meritocracy of content out there. I'll be very frank with you. I am am probably the least likely person to suggest a press release for a client. It's totally useless in my world. It's, it's like an eBay auction of hope. I would much rather build a long-term, long-standing relationship with the editors, the journalists, the writers that I'm friends with. And that way they come to me, right? It's almost like that in the marketing world, the difference in uh, 
you know, whatever marketing and outbound sales and content marketing and inbound sales. I would much rather be that latter one in the PR world, right? Like people, I think a lot of people on a personal level have an, an unusual thought when I say I'm a PR guy, but I'm also, as Chandler easily put it the other day, the world star hip hop of cannabis LinkedIn. You're damn right. I like pushing the boundaries. I like attracting the attention. I like asking the hard questions. And you know what? It provides me a really kick butt version or a kick butt set of clients who are worth the journalist covering, who are worth being their own feature article or who their, their thing is. So that's, that's that, right? PR people shouldn't be in the shadows anymore. We should be able to take the stage and we should be willing and capable of giving the stage away as much as possible to as many friends, family, and, and people that we're connected to as possible. Agreed. And, you know, uh, building a relationship with journalists is, uh, is a, is a great skill to have. Like how would, any recommendations or where would people start to actually do that? Find them on LinkedIn. They're nice people. LinkedIn. They're human beings, just like you. I guarantee you just because they're a journalist doesn't mean everything has to be a pitch. Not every, I have yeah. conversations with my journalism connections about weird stuff, right? Like, Hey, did you watch this documentary? I know you're into trains. Me too. All the time. It doesn't have to be a transact. That's there's the word I'm looking for. Transaction. A lot of cannabis or a lot of PR and journalism people look at it as a transit transactional thing. It's a give or take. I need quotes. You have quotes. I need to get stuff in an article. You have the ability to put it in an article. It doesn't need to be like that. It, it can be a relationship that, by the way, I can help you at work too. Exactly. Exactly. And you're, you know, very, uh, you're very active on LinkedIn. Is there any recommendations you would give to, uh, you know, uh, creating content that's engaging through that platform specifically? Consistency, consistency, consistency. And here's where I'll give a, a props to press releases. I write most of my posts like a press release. Eye catcher, details, back up to the details, call to action. Very simple. Yeah. And then looking at the metrics on that and, you know, just, just thinking of, you know, the, the resources you can use for a press release. I mean, you can, you can get more impressions and awareness from a LinkedIn post than you can from a spray and pray press release. If you do it right. right? And you've, you ask the right questions, you have an enticing intro there. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can, you can showcase that message. And as far as like uh, metrics that you can track to measure the performance of a PR campaign, or are there any that you'd like to highlight? I, I think the, the most obvious one is impressions from the publication, uh, meaning how many eyeballs do they have on average? How far does that reach go? But some of it is also proactive. What can you yeah. as the company do if we put on our marketing hat again, you know, like yeah. boop, what can I do with that? Can I cut my interview into pieces and reuse it later? Can I cut yeah. quotes out of that and repurpose that into a blog? Can I backlink off of the, the PR piece, you know, the media piece that I got from them and, and build it out? That is where I see the major return, right? Like somebody asked me one time, uh, why do you go to conferences if you can catch more leads off of a LinkedIn post every day? And the reason is it's reusable content, right? It provides a, a steady stream of stuff that I can reference back to for myself. I think the same thing applies 
for a client, right? This is, if you get a quote in an article, you can repurpose the quote into a social media tile. You can repurpose the quote into your own post where you break down even further than your quote was. You can talk about the experience of talking to a journalist. You can cut it into any individual action in the PR world, in my mind, if you have a decent marketing team and a, a decent idea of what you want to do with it, is 10 to 12 pieces of content over a three-week time span guaranteed. Oh, that's great. And you, you know how uh, I loved your post on uh, your favorite smoking spot. Like, how do you actually, how do you stay inspired in, in, in uh, you know, creating new content since you're so active on LinkedIn? Honestly, it's a, a combination of, I want to be an account that I would want to follow. Like I want to be the, somebody that I would want to talk to. And the other one is, uh, there is no shortage of problems and successes, which are really the only two major pieces of content that matter that gain traction. Uh, you just got to look, you know what I mean? It, it's being yeah. invested in the community and the industry and the people and the stuff. And eventually it just kind of starts flowing. Like I've got a very specific personal creative process where I take like the first hour of my day and I read the the news and the cannabis news specifically. And then I write my post and I've got a general outline. Like I know what tomorrow's post is generally going to be. I write it fresh every day though. Cause it's got to be. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't read prepackaged stuff. I mean, maybe once in a while, like uh, I knew ahead of time I was going to promote being on here. Right. Yeah. But I didn't know exactly how I was going to word that until that morning. Nice, nice. And then, you know, as as a you know brand that's starting from scratch, like, do you have a, a timeline when people could see, you know, results from a typical PR campaign? I know this is a kind of a <laughs> open-ended question, but longer than you think it will be uh, is yeah. the, is my short answer. So. I specifically, when it comes to publicity packages, offer three different packages that are aimed at three different groups, right? There's the very immersive, proactive, I'm going to go out and beat down the door till somebody talks to you approach. And that's obviously the bigger one. And then there's kind of the other end of the spectrum, which is the maintenance one. You've already got some feature articles. You've already got some quotes and stuff. We just need to keep that ball rolling. And then there's that middle ground. I would say that a minimum of the first 30 days is going to be all behind the scenes. You are not going to get an immediate return on investment in 30 days, unless it's like perfect lightning strike timing of, I already know I have a journalist that needs a quote and you're my brand new client. And it just happens to line up. Right. Uh, so I would say a minimum of 30 days I okay. look at it kind of like a snowball and pushing it downhill, right? How big is the snowball I'm starting with? How fast is it going to go downhill based on that? And how quickly is it going to pick up speed? So normally what I, I tell people is you're looking at 30 to 45 days before an initial return on investment, but then the longer you continue to go, the faster it's going to keep picking up things. So patience at the beginning, uh, be demanding later. Save your demanding thing for your PR person until they've had a little bit of time to work the magic. Because part of it is also how much we understand you as a client, right? Like, uh, I, I generally speaking have a good idea of some of the talking points for a client when we first meet, but those only go so far, right? And most companies do fit 
more than one category of publication or more than one style of story that can be put out there. So it takes some time to figure that out too, right? It takes a little bit of massaging because as a PR person, when you're working for a company, you're kind of like an internal employee in a way and that like you are representing the company to someone else. And uh, it's just like when you onboard a new employee, they're not fully uh, drinking the Kool-Aid for a couple of months. They don't know the little pieces. So like, uh, I I don't, I don't know if I have a a specific example of this, but you know, let's say I, I, I have a cannabis education company as a client right? Like there's all it is, is cannabis education. Well, there's also stories in there, right? Maybe a C-suite member came from poverty, or maybe a, one of the executives was a prisoner, or maybe, you know, this or that, or who knows, there's all kinds of little pieces. Each one of those is a story thread, but you can only learn those about the company as you work together, right? Nobody's just sitting there coming into a PR relationship going, I know every piece of detail that could turn into a story. That's our job to to pull them out and figure out which tool in the toolbox works this time. So patience, give it, you know, minimum 30 days, I would say 45 to 60 days till you see some real push there. Um, I see an interesting question in the chat. Should I answer it? Yeah, yeah. What's your opinion on paid versus earned media? (laughs) I think that the average person reading it has no idea the difference. I... I don't think they realize where the differentiation lies, right? Like uh, a paid feature article and an earned feature article are exactly the same in return. But then the question becomes return on investment. Is that paid piece worth as much as you think it is? So a a paid article is going to run you anywhere from $500 to $2,500, What's your, what's your price point? What's your, what product are you selling? What's their target market? If you're selling $5 pre-rolls, you're probably not going to make your money back on that immediately. It's going to take some time and some repurposing on your marketing department to make that back. Now, on the other side of that, if you're a, you know, a service provider whose minimum viable contract is $15,000 and you're posting, you know, you're paying for a feature article in Forbes or Cannabis Business Times or something like that, maybe it adds up. Uh, I would venture to say that I think most paid media is overpriced and you would be better off spending that same money on a PR person who will generate you the base hit earned media. Mm-hmm. And then after that's up and running, use that as social proof to gain an earned media feature piece, if you will. Uh, but I'm not saying all of it's bad, right? Like not all paid media is bad. Not all pay to play is bad. It just is not my, my preference. I don't think it carries the weight that it should unless it's very, very specifically planned out, thought out and used in a very specific way yeah and like how can you be authentic with a you know a a paid placement right i think that isn't on you right that's on the publication not you as the payer of it right uh even the most ardent honest publications out there offer some level of paid media and there's nothing wrong with that because they're not going to stay afloat selling nothing but you know banner advertisements yeah. and newsletter sponsorships yeah. so i get it from their part I, I think it's finding the one that has the appropriate balance for you 
in that regard, right? Is their target market the right fit? Are you, because when you start getting into paid media versus earned media, what we're talking about is what I would call pass-through marketing, meaning I'm business to business doing a deal to get to a business to consumer scenario or a different business to business scenario. So, you know, yes. Yes, absolutely, Bree. Uh, I would say that the lowest I've seen per article is probably going at about 750. I know plenty of publications charging two to 2,500, I don't know, 1,800, 1,750 minimum. And I'm not talking the big boys. I'm talking the mid-tier publications too. Yeah, and what are the benefits of choosing a, you know, a niche cannabis firm like yours versus a, a large firm? I think that I think that the large firms don't understand cannabis enough yet. And I think that their media connections in cannabis are not deep. So a Fox News or CNN article is not as efficacious for your cannabis company as a Gondrepreneur article or a MJ Biz Daily article or a Cannabis Business Times article. It's all, it's all down to target market, right? Is, is that big company capable of getting you in front of the appropriate relevant industry publications? Because I highly doubt the average consumer or cannabis business person is perusing MSNBC or Newsmax for their weed news. They're going to yeah. industry trade publications for that. Uh, are those mainstream publications helpful? Heck yeah. Are there a few mainstream publications that have bought hook, line, and sinker into cannabis? Heck yeah. Those, those friendly media organizations like the Rolling Stones and the Forbeses and the entrepreneur magazines of the world don't talk to the mainstream guys about that. They're almost sequestered. So I would say that the main piece of using a cannabis intrinsic company is one, they're going to understand the story better. And that's the key for us. We have to understand your story to pitch it. Uh, mm -hmm. And the other one is the connections that we as cannabis PR people, and that's not just me, that's any of my competitors too, is that we actually know the relevant publications. I don't, I don't think that XYZ PR company from sports understands the differentiation and target market between various cannabis publications. They just put them all in the cannabis category and they're not. Some of them are business to business focused. Some of them are cultivation focused. Some of them are extraction focused. Some of them are this, that, and the other. And that's relevant too, right? I don't want an article about cultivation, home growing in a business to business publication. I don't want uh, you know, whatever. And I'm not going to fault those publications if they want to take the, uh, not necessarily, I'll answer that in a second, Ruth. Um, I, do, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong if those publications are willing to publish it, but then it's all in, where's the efficaciousness to it? Where is the impact? Are you reaching that market? And I think only cannabis PR firms understand cannabis right now. Uh, and maybe eventually we'll get bought out by the big boys and we'll be their cannabis arm or something. And that's not just me again, you know, that's the competitors too. But for right now, we're still so misunderstood on the mainstream mm -hmm. side that it doesn't make sense to use them. 
Yeah, and as far as like publications, uh, is there any you would recommend for B2B and some for B2C for some of the, the audience members here? Uh, let, me, let me hit this. What publications do you recommend if you're promoting a product on LinkedIn? How do you set the tone in the comment section as per the company culture? Oh, those are totally different questions. Uh, yeah. Publications I recommend are going to be dependent on what you want, right? What is your specific need? Are you an executive that's trying to gain investors or executive friends or mentors or advisors? Are you a public, are you consumer facing and you're looking for a regional publication for your target market? Are you, what are you doing? Are we talking print? Are we talking digital? Uh, so the idea of, of recommending a specific publication is very difficult to me because yeah. it depends on what you're looking for. Uh, how do you set the tone in the comment section as per the company culture? I'll be honest with you. I think, uh, I think company culture is dying and we're starting to realize that companies are made up of people. So it's, does it fit you as a person? Uh, three or four people could all be salespeople for the same company and want to sell the same thing and they're going to do it very differently. So be yourself when promoting it. Don't, obviously there's that line of professionalism, but who cares what the company culture is? I care about your ability. If I were in their shoes as your boss, I care about your ability to return the products accurately and, and make sales. So that's that. Uh, is it necessary or desirable to have both a PR company and a separate company to manage your social media? No, those can be the exact same company. Um, I don't know of a lot that offer both in cannabis. We will yeah. do both. I don't mind doing both as a company. Uh, I don't see a problem doing them separately. And I think the big question there is, are you talking publicity or are you talking true PR? Because if you're using true PR, then they're going to do it all. If you're talking just publicity, then I would find a media company to run media marketing, that stuff, and a publicity agency aside from that. If that's the, you know, I hope that answered your question, Ruth. We have one from Andrew here. How significant are geographical stigmas in cannabis PR? Does it matter uh, if you change the pitch by region? Absolutely. Uh, I, like without question, they do. Um, I've said this many times before. There is no cannabis industry. There are 38 cannabis industries and each one of them are totally different. Uh, each state's rules, laws, regulations, culture is different. What flies in the smoke circle in New York does not fly in SoCal. Heck, what flies in SoCal doesn't fly in NorCal. What flies in NorCal doesn't fly in Florida, vice versa. So I, I think it all depends on uh, it all depends on regional understanding of typical norms within cannabis culture, uh, and I think it is predicated on. Um, kind of the bigger story. So when we're talking about national publications, which there are a lot of them in cannabis, uh, mm -hmm. it is representing your geographical region well, if that makes sense. Like you better be authentic to where you come from. I don't want, uh, you know, like corporate cartel Florida stuff coming out of a California company. A California company doesn't want to seem like a Massachusetts company. So it's all about finding how to represent your geographical region. Um, I think when it comes to the quote unquote lower level or regional publications that approaching them if you're an insider from that region is totally different than if you're an outsider trying to break into that region. 
uh, and it's this is going to sound super messed up, but like there's still an air on the East Coast that California is cannabis mecca, and I'm not trying to get into the debate there. That's its own you know conversation, but there's still this air. So like they're more likely to cover a California cannabis company coming to New York than they are a Colorado one or a Michigan one or an Illinois one. And that's not that the companies from those states are wrong. It's just that is a fact we have to deal with in the cultural standards of the industry. Exactly. And how do you think the uh, you know changes going on in, in New York and New Jersey are going to impact the industry as a whole? Because California has really held it for, for a long time. And you're going to have this huge market in New York and you know, the greater New Jersey area as well. I'm going to hit you with a different one. I think yeah. that everybody's sleeping on Virginia, Kentucky, West Virginia. And mm. I think that that's the East Coast Emerald Triangle and nobody's talking about it. You've got decades of underground cannabis growing that's been happening along the same trails that the moonshiners ran for, you know, a hundred years. There are stuff coming to the market from there that's going to change the game and nobody's talking about it yet. As far as New York, New Jersey goes, I mean, that's the epicenter of East Coast. And I'm, I'm waiting for 1993 hip hop battles to call and <laughs> watch that happen. I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah. Honestly, I think that I think that the East Coast has finally caught up on the industry side. We've always been there on the community side and yeah. it's going to be game changing. And of course, there's going to be uh, West Coast companies that come over and dominate. But I think eventually what we're going to see is it start cross pollinating back and forth. Agreed. And what do you see uh, about the future of cannabis products in the EU? I so hope that Europe learns from our mistakes as the states, unlike we did as the states learning from Canada. We did not learn from Canada's boo-boos. And I really hope that individual European countries learn from ours and theirs. Because if they don't, they're five years behind. If they do, they're six months behind. No, great point. Yeah. Facts, Rick. I'm with you, bud. <laughs> exactly. Any more questions that you wanted to cover or topics, Brett? I think we nailed it. Audience, Audience anything else that you, uh, you'd like to ask Brett before we uh, part ways here? We got a couple more Brett, minutes. Where, where can our listeners connect with you online? Obviously, LinkedIn is yeah. where I'm. Uh, I'm a big, I'm big on there. I guess um, goodideas.net, G-O-O-D-H-I-D-E-A-S. Wait, H-I-G-H-D-E-A-S.net uh, is a good one, and it's .net. And stop adding the extra i. G-O-O-D, no i. H-I-G-H-D-E-A-S. If you want to just post that in the uh, yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and do that. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense than if I can find my mouse here. Gary asks, what's going on in Oklahoma? Oh, you don't want my answer to that. I think that Oklahoma is the opposite of Florida. So Florida set up the most uh, restrict, restricted and strict industry in the country yeah. with a cartel system. And Oklahoma said, we want to do it as far away from that as possible. And they got, what, 15,000 licenses for 3 million people? That's unsustainable. So what's going to happen is it's going to continue to be a bloodbath. Most of the companies are going to fail. And then the big boys are going to come 
come scoop up the leftovers because you already wasted the money and you're going to get pennies on your dollar for your effort until they start putting some level of license caps. And I'm not talking 25, I'm talking a couple hundred, but there needs to be some, oh God, I'm going to hate myself for saying this. There does need to be some intervention to the stabilization of the market. And I'm not saying that like the MSOs say it about stable markets or the future. I'm saying there has to be some level of in the middle understanding. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Brett. I appreciate you, you taking the time today and sharing your insights with, you know, with your expertise in regards to PR and beyond and, you know, looking to learning more from you, you know, in the future. Are there anything, anything that you're really excited about for 2022 that you want to highlight? <laughs> I don't know. So much some fun stuff going on. We're onboarding clients faster than I had ever anticipated. Uh, got a couple of speaking opportunities coming up and uh, I'm stoked, man. 2021 was one of the best years ever for us as a company and me as a person. And I think 2022 is only going to get better. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I'm, I'm here to, uh, to you know, join you on the journey and looking forward to see, you know, seeing how cannabis uh, evolves this year. And it's going to be great. I do too, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate the time. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining once again. Uh, you know, once again, my name is Guillermo Bravo. I'm the Chief Evangelist here at MediaGel. Um, Brett, Brett can be found at uh, goodideas.net. Where is that in the chat here? It's lost into yeah. all the things. Yeah. Feel, free, feel free to post your, your website so people can find you here. Uh, but thank you, thank you everyone again. And uh, until next week, we'll see you later. Bye, everyone. Bye.